Welcome to Defenders, the teaching class of Dr. William Lane Craig. Today, the creation of life and biological diversity, part 25. For more information and resources from Dr. Craig, go to reasonablefaith.org. Today we want to turn to Paul's use of Adam in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, uh, 21 to 22, and 45 to 46, and then in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. John Collins, the Old Testament scholar, has remarked that while it's not easy to insist that Paul's argument uh, in the texts that we looked at last week depends upon the assumption of Adam's historicity for its validity, the case is different when it comes to 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans chapter 5, uh, not to mention Acts 17, 26. In these crucial passages, Paul lays out his Adam Christology. Now we'll not try in our brief time to unpack all of the theological riches in these passages, but we'll restrict our attention to their implications for the issue of the historical Adam. In dealing with Paul's two passages about Adam in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the question we face is whether his use um, of Adam is a merely literary figure uh, or whether that suffices to capture Paul's meaning um, with respect to Adam. So let's review what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22, and then 45 to 49. Paul writes, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And then down to verse 45, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual which is first, but the physical, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, in verses 45 and 46, Paul's expression, thus it is written, followed by his paraphrase of Genesis 2-7, directs our attention immediately to the Genesis narrative of Adam's creation. And there's little in the ensuing paragraph that takes us beyond the literary character in Genesis chapter 2. There Adam is said to be the first man, physical, um, or as it's sometimes translated, natural. The word in the Greek is Psuchikos, uh, psuchikos means uh, natural or physical, um, 
and Adam is said to be uh, physical or natural psuchikos, to be from the earth and to be made of dust. Uh, all of that is true of the figure that we meet in the Genesis account. He was, according to the story, the first human being that God had made, formed by God out of the dust of the earth, and therefore having a natural psuchikos body. In saying that we all bear the image of the one made of dust, Paul may not be saying more than that we are all like the man described in the story. Each of us has a natural body, a soma psuchikon. Soma is the Greek word for body. Psuchikon is the adjective describing that body, a natural body, a body made of dust and therefore mortal. There may, however, be a hint of the historical Adam. In Paul's expression, it is not the spiritual which is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. Paul might mean simply that in the story, the natural or physical body is created first. But it is not the case that in the story, after the physical, then the spiritual is created. Now, it's true that God breathes into the earthly man the divine breath, though the word uh, pneuma for spirit is not mentioned. So the man becomes then a living being. But that still belongs to the natural realm, psuchikon, not to the spiritual realm. We have to wait until Christ's resurrection for the spiritual to appear. So Paul might be attributing a genuine chronological or historical priority of Adam to Christ, in which case we have moved outside of the story to postulate a historical Adam. Ultimately, whether Paul is using Adam uh, more than just illustratively in 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 46, is apt to depend upon what he meant by his earlier statement in 21 to 22, as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. An illustrative reference to the literary Adam would suffice, I think, for Paul's statement, as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For the antecedent of that sentence, as by a man came death, does not clearly move outside of the Genesis narrative, even though the consequent of that sentence, um, so by a man has come the resurrection of the dead, is external to the narrative. Paul's statement, in Adam all die, may look like a truth asserted external to the narrative because it's not part of the literary Adam of Genesis that all die in Adam. But it's important to note that while um, Romans 5 
contrasts the spiritual death and condemnation uh, in Adam versus justification and righteousness in Christ. Here in 1 Corinthians 15, the contrast is not forensic or judicial. Rather, it is physical. In Adam, all persons die physically. But in Christ, we shall someday be made alive and enjoy resurrection life. So notice that the concern here in 1 Corinthians 15, in contrast with Romans 5, is with physical immortality, not with righteousness and salvation. The contrast is between Adam's mortality and the immortality that we will have in Christ through his physical resurrection from the dead. In contrast to Romans 5, Paul's employment of the Adam-Christ typology in 1 Corinthians 15 is thus focused on physical death and resurrection. Although we might think that physical death is the result of Adam's sin, notice that Paul does not affirm this. Um, Gordon Fee, who is a prominent uh, evangelical commentator on uh, 1 Corinthians, has commented as follows on 1 Corinthians 15.45, and I quote, the first Adam who became a living psuche, that is a living being, was thereby given a psuchichas body at creation, that is to say a natural body at creation, a body subject to decay and death. Let me repeat that sentence because it's important. The first Adam who became a living being was thereby given a natural body at creation, a body subject to decay and death. Fee goes on to say, the last Adam, on the other hand, whose spiritual glorified body was given at his resurrection, is himself the source of the spiritual or pneumaticos life, as well as the spiritual body. So on this view, Adam was created with a mortal natural body. Think about it. If Adam and Eve had been naturally immortal, then why have a tree of life in the garden at all? It would serve no physical purpose in paradise if they were naturally immortal. Notice that the tree of life serves to rejuvenate its eater physically not spiritually, hence the concern about fallen man's eating from the tree and living forever. Notice that God's concern was not that Adam and Eve would eat from the tree of life and be spiritually regenerated or born anew, but rather that in their condition of alienation and condemnation from God, they would be physically rejuvenated and immortal. So why have a tree of life in the garden at all uh, if they were naturally immortal. Moreover, think about this. Jesus Christ, though sinless, also had a body which was psuchikos, which was natural uh, and therefore mortal, so that he could die. 
It is only with his resurrection that his soma psuchikon, his natural body, was transformed into a soma pneumaticon, a spiritual body. That happens at the resurrection. It cannot therefore be said that physical death is solely a consequence of personal sin or Christ would not be able to die. So the only sense in which physical death might be seen as a consequence of sin, I think, is indirect. It is a consequence of Adam and Eve's expulsion from the garden, cutting them off from any hope of immortality symbolized by the tree of life. So Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, associates human mortality with the creation of Adam, not with his fall. Mortality is associated with Adam's creation, not with his fall. Adam is created with a soma psuchikon. He does not get one by sinning. Paul implies that physical mortality is the natural human condition. In saying that in Adam all die, Paul may be saying that it is in virtue of sharing a common human nature with Adam that we share in his natural mortality. Now perhaps Paul draws that inference based upon the literary Adam, but it may just go beyond the boundaries of the literary Adam to touch the historical Adam. Any question about the um, use of Adam in 1 Corinthians 15? Taiwan. It's a handful of questions, uh, but um, the assumption that Adam is created mortal, uh, I disagree with that because um, tree of life is in proverb uh, wisdom described as great wisdom. Yes. Um, and a tree of knowledge of good and evil actually uh, changed the conscience of man from in agreement with God into in agreement with the tempter. Yes. So when our conscience is sealed, there's no way that we will go about living God's design and his ways. In that, uh, when our conscience is sealed, all decisions are reversed from obeying God to uh, rebelling against God. So it is that decision that they ate that this tree, change human conscience which bring immortal, uh, the mortality in uh, the death. Now, okay, now wait, that's the inference that I'm questioning, Taiwan. Everything you said so far, I think, is a perfect description of spiritual death. That that is brought about through the fall, resulting in human alienation from God and condemnation. But neither in Genesis 3 nor especially in 1 Corinthians 15, is our having a mortal natural body 
associated with Adam sinning. Rather, Paul says very explicitly that um, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Uh, and that is the, the image then that we bear as human beings like Adam. There is a uh, direct association between spiritual and physical in my concept that as now wait, okay but the question is is your concept correct well is it biblical <laughs> it's 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 developed by god through all this bible study okay so i won't claim it's clear, correct but listen uh, listen to my justification yes i want to hear it everything uh in the bible talk about spiritual truths which has physical manifestation everything uh, all spiritual truth has physical manifestation and that is why when our spirit died our physical body has no chance of live on but but I, but to one we are spiritually dead apart from Christ yeah but we eternal live life very well, right? It, uh, eternal life is promised for the, fi uh, for, for the spiritual being, right? When we become born again as a spiritual person, um, because Christ as a life-giving spirit, and, um, and then we receive that life from Christ, yes. and we become a born again spiritual being which is reconciled to the triune God and so there is that physical ramification of this truth that is the eternal life. Now wait, wait what you've just been describing Taiwan sounds to me like spiritual renovation and renewal but what we're talking about here is having a soma pneumaticon as opposed to a soma psuchikon, having a spiritual or supernatural body compared to a natural body. And when does that take place? It doesn't take place when you're born again or saved. It takes place at the resurrection. When Christ returns, then you will be transformed and you will receive your spiritual body. So the question is, when did you get this soma Psuchikon, or how did Adam get a soma psuchikon? Was he born with it, well, or did he get it as a result of the fall? When our spiritual alignment agrees with Christ, the exchange life takes place where he died for our sin, we live for, on his, for his righteousness. That reality has a physical ramification of eternal life. Yes. That's right. And that's, that's right. a physical ramification. Well, in the sense that it will lead to our resurrection someday yes. from the dead. Yes. Which is still future. Uh, that's something we await for and hope for. Yes, yes but there will be a physical manifestation. Just like True. Christ, um, the shield cannot hold his body because he's totally righteous. Uh, I mean, uh, that he cannot be... Uh, remain dead, okay? Yes. He actually physically died, and, but he cannot remain dead. He has, he resurrected. Right. So will we. We will physically die, right. but we will not remain dead because of our spiritual alignment with the Christ. And that 
that give us that physical reality. Yeah, I don't think we're disagreeing at all about that, Taiwan. As I said, my focus here is not on the part of the contrast between Christ and Adam, where we look at what we will have in Christ and what we will become in Christ. I'm interested in the part of the sentence where he says, as in Adam, all die. Yes. What does that mean? That's does that mean that when Adam fell, his body lost its natural immortality and became immortal, and somehow that's been passed down to us? Or is it the case that Adam was created mortal, but given the tree of life as an opportunity for renewal and rejuvenation, but lost it when he fell and was expelled from the garden? I believe Adam was created to choose between a tree of life or tree of knowledge of good and evil, which one direct to uh, immortality, the other directed to mortality. And they yes. chose or been tempted into taking the mortality, but I don't, I don't believe they were created without immortality. I, I but believe you think they were created immortal. I, you yes, think that they if were they choose the wisdom route, they would have uh, the spirit of God, and then they will continue that life with God's uh, design and purpose. Okay. That's how, how I believe. All right. Yes, Kyle. You know when Moses talks about nefesh and um, ruach that. How's this tie in in that context with Paul understanding the, okay. the natural? He's, and the he's physical, using a couple of Hebrew terms here nephesh and ruach, which can be translated as soul and spirit, though they have a very wide range of meanings. Um, in, um, in Genesis, um, it doesn't say, interestingly enough, that, um, well, what it says is that, as I recall, is that God breathed into him the breath of life and that Adam became a living being, a nefesh, nefesh chaya, a living being. Um, and that's the same that is true of an animal, for example. An animal is a living being. But the divine ruach, the uh, or spirit is not mentioned in Genesis, nor is pneuma mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15. So the idea there is simply that God animates this physical body that he has formed from the dust, and Adam becomes alive. Um, and Paul associates that act in 1 Corinthians 15 with Adam's having this natural body. You see the word psuche here in the word natural. Psuche khan, it comes from psuche, which is the word for soul. It, it, it is similar to nefesh in Hebrew, but psuche is, is soul. So literally a soulish body. That is to say a body that is animated by the human soul and, and therefore alive. Thank you. Uh-huh. Yes, Bruce? This poses an interesting question because a lot of times doctrinally we, we're predisposed to think of physical death as a result of 
eating of the fruit. Yes, you're right, Bruce. And this has been a reversal of thinking, frankly, on my own part uh, as a result of this study. I used to think that the Soma Psuchachan was the result of sin. And I'm amazed I could have missed what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says so plainly that um, God um, created the first man, Adam, and he became a living being, psuche, and that's the Soma Psuchachan. So I've had to change my own thinking on this. Go ahead. So uh, it's... it's, uh Certainly, something to think about uh, because uh, you know that I'm in in the same boat here. But also, in support of it, they didn't die right away. If they if they ate of the fruit, and that was that was going to be physical spiritual death as well as spirit physical death at the same time. Then certainly, Eve would have died first, or you would think. And this is a very point that John Collins, whom I quoted earlier, makes. He says the threat in Genesis 2-7, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. He said must be referring to spiritual death, not physical death, because when they ate of it, they didn't drop over dead physically, but they were alienated from God in the way that Taiwan so eloquently described. So I think you're right. I think that the, the, the uh, threat of death and then what actually happens to them when their sin supports this view, as well as the fact that having a tree of life in the garden for sinless people would be utterly pointless if they already had natural immortality. So I think you're making a good point, which other Old Testament scholars have made. Ms. Kachuk. JJ. JJ is your... Jay Chuck. What's your first name? Sandy. Sandy, that's easier. Okay. (laughs) All right, Sandy, please. Um, You just said something that was very related to my question. The the whole thing about um, the tree of life, what you're saying sounds reasonable that, okay, then why would you need the tree of life if, if it was immortal and was that to keep it alive? But Revelations yes. 2, is it 2-7? Um, wait, no, I just lost it again. Um, hold on. I just had the verse. Yeah, it's 2-7. Um, where it says, and this is in eternity, in paradise, there will be a tree of life. Yes. So what is the purpose of that one when we have immortal bodies then, if, we, if that is any evidence that Let's this see, now one you is were mortal. quoting from Revelation 2, two verse seven. 7. He. Um, no, that's not right. What is the verse? Yeah, it is. He who has an ear. What's the reference, though? Revelation 2, verse 7. It's talking to the, the church, the message to Ephesus. And after the message, and it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant ah. to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Yeah. That's talking about eternity, is it not? And we have an immortal body. And so why, if that's an evidence that it's more, well, mortal, let me say this. that would kind of blow that theory. It, it cannot be for the purpose of bestowing immortality upon otherwise mortal, corruptible bodies. Because in the resurrection state, mm-hmm. I mean, Paul couldn't be more clear. We will have immortal, honorable, glorious, supernatural bodies, which will be incapable of corruption and mortality. That, that, nothing could be clearer from 1 Corinthians 15 than that. 
Uh, and therefore, as Christ is raised from the dead, never to die again, you're not going to need a tree of life in the eschaton to keep you alive. Otherwise, you're going to corrupt and die. That, that's out of the question. So at best, this would serve some sort of symbolic value. It, um, it, it can't be bestowing immortality upon corruptible bodies. I agree with you, but because of that, I can't agree with the other theory that the tree of life in the garden has any bearing on um, proving that the bodies were mortal and needed it to live, because it's there in eternity and oh. it's not needed. That's okay, my point. well, what I'm thinking of here is why God expels them from the garden. Why does He kick them out of the garden? He says, lest they eat the tree of life and live forever. So, he, he seems to think there that if they go and eat this, they'll rejuvenate physically and will live forever. Um, but there wouldn't be any point in having that kind of a tree in the garden if they were sinless. And I think it's important too. don't don't impose one part of Scripture on another. I mean, you can't just sort of take things out of the book of Revelation and use that as an interpretive grid for Genesis or Paul, right. I think. Yeah. It, it only posed a question because if that is kind of a proof, if that, if that is the reasoning we're using, I'm thinking it kind of falls apart because it's not always used uh -huh. in that way. There's other un unanswered. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. There's other things that don't answer the mortality, uh -huh. immortality, as far as I'm keeping them out. That sounds like it was yeah. maintaining their life mortally. It's just, yeah, I just would not use the tree of life as the yeah. point to prove okay. it. Because to right. me, it kind of falls apart on the other end. I don't okay. Know. My... Yeah, I, I was thinking along the exact same lines. And if the idea is that Adam and Eve would have lived immortally in Eden by continued renewal, continued eating from the tree of life to continue forever having immortality, if that's the case in Genesis, then if you look in Revelation 22, it says that the tree of life was on each side of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit and the leaves are for the healing of the nations. So is that the case? Are we then to understand that in heaven we would continually, we will be immortal by virtue of continually eating from the tree of life? And then if you skip down to verse 14 of Revelation 22, it says, uh, excuse me, 15, outside are the dogs, and they, and they don't, the people who are not believers, they don't have access to the tree of life, and that would actually infer that they would ultimately die yeah. again in the annihilationism. annihilationism. I can't say yeah, that. Yeah, I, I would say again what I said to Sandy a moment ago, is that I, I think it's just illegitimate to take passages written by a different author at a totally different time that are highly symbolic and use those as an interpretive grid for these narratives in, in Genesis. I think that probably what the author of Revelation is imagining here or, or portraying heaven as a kind of restoration of an Edenic state, that it, it's like a return to paradise. Um, and so you've got things like the tree of life um, and so forth. But I don't see that as being necessarily um, uh, literal or uh, in any way non-symbolic. And it shouldn't be a guide to how to understand Genesis and, and what Paul has to say. Yes, Jonathan. Um, I just had 
something of a comment, um, and it kind of goes back to a previous point in the, cl uh, in the class where you're talking about in the day you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. Yes. That the day being interpreted there isn't the literal day, given that they didn't drop down and die. Um, I, I was just suggesting, well, maybe this is evidence that, well, the days aren't literal. So uh, how, what are you saying? I mean, in the day you shall eat of it, they, you shall surely die. And then we pointed out, well, they don't drop there and dead uh, and, and die mm -hmm. on that day specifically. Well, that suggests that the day that he's speaking of isn't the literal day. Um, yeah, the, the idea is that if eating from this tree brings physical death, then you would expect that to happen, yeah, uh, um, I mean, and it, it doesn't. Instead, there is a kind of spiritual oh, death I, that I takes was just kind of suggesting that this might be like special pleading to guy kind of take days literally in a certain part, uh -huh. and then when you get to this part, oh, it's a literal, it's a... Well, boy, um, <laughs> that gets into the wider debate. Okay. In, in Genesis 2 and 3, in contrast to Genesis 1, right. It is talking about literal days, it seems to me, right? We're not dealing there with the six days of creation in Genesis 1. We're here in Genesis 2 and 3. And um, I think that what okay. it's meant to convey is the certainty of their, their death uh, when they disobey God in this way. Okay. But um, it seems to me naturally to take this as a spiritual death rather than saying that physical death results. Okay. L let's give it to someone who hasn't spoken yet. Yes, Don? Bill, um, the, the human saying that really has thrown me a curve all my life is justice delayed is justice denied. That's a human concept that doesn't apply to God. He doesn't necessarily have to do on exactly the same day what he said. As long as he issues the order, and that's clear in the book of Daniel, where Daniel prayed to, to God to have something removed from him, and mm -hmm. he didn't get an answer. I believe the Bible says for like 20 days. And he said to the angel when he finally got there, what took you so long? Right. And the angel says, the order was given the day you prayed and God sent me. I was intercepted by the prince of Persia, and I had to go get, I think, a higher angel to come help him get through, and they broke through and came and brought Daniel the answer. So, and I've wrestled with this pretty much all my life. You look at things that are happening and you say, why doesn't God do something about this? And you look at the Second World War and the Nazis and their role across Europe, and I can only say that when Nuremberg came along in 45 and all of those top Nazis ended up facing the court, justice was no longer delayed. And it was swift and they hung big time. Yes. And I don't know that, when, and you got into this with the study of Genesis, you know, evening and morning were one day. And my concept is the order may have been given that day, uh -huh. and it 
became as certain as let there be light, and there was light. When? And that's the problem I have with all of this, trying to lay human ideas on God and say, why aren't you doing something that I understand? And I just sit back and say, guess who doesn't understand God? And it's not God. It's me. Sure. And I have never lived in the spiritual realm. I have only lived in the human realm. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I wrestle, wrestle with the idea of eternity because I just say, how can there be no beginning and no end? I, I can't understand that. Everything we deal with has a beginning and it has an end because we're locked in a time frame. Okay, well, let's not get into issues yeah. of time and eternity. Let's, let's deal with this, the, the fall and its its consequences. Um, my argument here is based primarily upon the exegesis of 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul grounds Adam being a soma psuchikon, or having a soma psuchikon, not in his fall, but in his creation. Paul says this is the way Adam was created. And that's what really leapt out at me in, in looking at these verses is that he doesn't point to the fall, he points to the creation. Now, in light of that, go back to Genesis. And what do you find? You don't find them dying physically, but you do find them dying spiritually. And if they were naturally immortal, again, as I say, then the tree of life would serve no physical purpose in the garden. Now, maybe it'd have some symbolic purpose, Sandy su suggests. But it sure doesn't look like that, what, it, what it's for. It seems like it's supposed to be a tree that will rejuvenate your youth when you eat its, its fruit. And that would suggest naturally mortal people who, if they don't sin, will live forever in paradise because they'll eat of the, the tree. And so I, I grant you, you can read it a different way uh, if you want. I think that's perfectly possible. But if you if your train of thought goes through the steps that I followed, beginning with 1 Corinthians 15 and then going back, it seems to me that this makes the best sense of the biblical data. Yes, Tim? And this will be our last one this morning. Uh, if you look, when you look at uh, Revelation 2, uh, the context is the endurance of the church in Ephesus. And so, so when he tells them that to the one who conquers, he's talking about the church enduring, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. To me, that seems like it's just a metaphorical way of saying that those who, who conquer will enter into eternal life. And I don't think that mm. it's interpretive stretch to say that that's metaphor because the chapter begins with a metaphor. The chapter says to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So to then go on to describe the endurance of the church of Ephesus and, and, and describe the reward as the tree of life, to me that just seems to be further metaphor that, that he's yeah. saying that you'll, you'll enter into enter into eternal life if you... If yeah, you that, Tim's making, I think, a very good point about 2-7. Um, 
because he is talking to people in Ephesus and says, if you don't lose your faith, if you conquer and, and succeed, then you'll be able to eat the tree of life, which is probably just a symbol for resurrection life, that you'll be raised from the dead and, and live with Christ in heaven. And then you've got the passages later that Kevin highlighted in 22. Um, the book of Revelation is just full of these sorts of symbols. And um, once we're raised from the dead and have a resurrection body patterned on Christ, you're not going to need to eat fruit from a tree to keep from dying again. You're going to have a soma pneumaticon that is glorious, immortal, incorruptible, and, and imperishable. So, well, as I said, I thought this would be thought-provoking. Uh, it's caused my own thinking to change on this issue, and I hope that you will uh, consider it as well. Next time, we'll turn to Romans chapter 5 and see what Paul has to say about um, condemnation and death being in Adam. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the time this morning of uh, iron sharpening iron, interacting on these important scriptural issues. And we pray, Lord, that uh, your Holy Spirit would fill us and guide us throughout this week, that we would lead lives pleasing to you uh, and be clean and open vessels to be used of you in the lives of those that we come in contact with. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. The copyright for the preceding material is held by Dr. William Lane Craig. For more, go to reasonablefaith.org.